Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. A couple years ago, as I was uh, experiencing some of the most painful time in my life, where I was writing a dissertation, um, I'm just kidding. That was, that was awful. It was such a bad decision. Um, but I learned a lot. I was, I, w- I was studying on some of the things that I was going to be writing and came across a, a, a book that was talking about um, just kind of levels of development, levels of learning in the lives of people and, and kind of looked at how we learn differently as kids versus teenagers versus adults and kind of moving across there and, and talked about kind of as, as it looked at the different levels of learning and, and the ways that we learn, um, there's the, kind of the most basic form of learning is when we kind of do the whole rote memory. You know, you, you hand a kid a, a spoon, you say, this is a spoon, repeat after me, this is a spoon. And it, it was interesting because it was tying it into religious education and the way that we kind of grow in the church. And, and, and it made an interesting observation. A lot of times we reach a point in our life in in this thing called following after Jesus, to where we kind of, um, you look at it one of two ways, either we bottom out or we kind of hit a ceiling of uh, a belief, an understanding of God that's just, um, hey, I believe what I've been told. Like, I was told things in a Sunday school class, I was told things in a small group, I was told things in church, and I just kind of believe those things. But there's a deeper level of belief and understanding to where as we pursue a relationship with God, we begin to um, think for ourselves and pursue knowing God on our own to where we begin to ask questions that some might consider unbelief, but it's actually a deeper level of belief. See, because really the last thing that we want in our kids, and, and, I, and I think there are a number of people in this room that could that would agree the last thing that we want for our kids is that they believe in God only because we've told them to because that's really not belief at all that's that's almost some kind of pseudo created belief on our part that that doesn't hold a lot of water as soon as life gets a little bit difficult because lord willing kids will leave the house someday And sometimes you want them to leave faster than they will. I'm, you're, you're graduating from high school this year. We're so excited <laughs> that you're going to school in Washington State. No, I'm just kidding. But we don't want people to believe things just because we're told them. We want people to believe in God because they have encountered God and because they're knowing God on their own. Imagine hearing or reading this statement. They did not understand Jesus' miracles, but their hearts were hardened. Let me read it again. They did not understand Jesus' miracles, but their hearts were hardened. Just hearing that statement and thinking from a biblical context. Now, I know we have some church people here to where you might immediately know who that's referring to. 
But kind of at the surface, who would we attribute that kind of a statement to? See, I think there are some immediate go-tos. We might consider that kind of a statement coming from the crowd, where the crowd has just observed Jesus doing things, but their hearts are still hardened because they don't understand. Or perhaps we would put that in the category on the other end, maybe of the spectrum, of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so entrenched in their beliefs, in their doing, that they missed Jesus beyond the miracles. Possibly it was the opponents or the enemies of Christ. But the last people that we would consider that would be attributed to would be his followers, right? Surely his followers would see Jesus move and their hearts would be opened, not hardened. See, one of the neat things about reading through the Bible is when you read through the Bible, occasionally you come across verses that cause you to scratch your head and you go, huh, I'm not sure I ever saw that. Before we got into the Christmas season, we had been moving our way through the book of Mark as we talked about Jesus on the move. And this morning we pick back up there, and I know I, I told you last week, it's going to be a little bit um, uh, kind of back and forth here for the next few weeks. We're picking back up in Mark this morning, talking about Jesus on the move. Next week, we'll take a brief pause as we have Sanctity of Life Sunday. Paula Joy, the director of the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, will be here with us. And I'm excited to have her share some things um, with us next week as we want to be about life because Jesus is about life. And then we'll hop back into the study of Mark. But as we talk about Jesus on the move... Surely the actions of Christ's followers should look different than those who are merely observing Jesus. This morning I want us to look at this question. If you are a follower of Jesus, how do you continue to move beyond the crowd? How do we move beyond the crowd as we continue to follow after Christ? If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 45. And as you're doing so, let me kind of bring you up to speed, because it's been a couple weeks since we've been in the book of Mark. Heard a wonderful message from Pastor Greg on the, our last week in Mark as he talked about the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And if you recall, he, he talked about when plans change. See, because this is what had happened. Jesus had sent his disciples out to teach and to heal people, to, to minister to those around them. It's in, the, it's in the midst of them doing that that we have the story of John the Baptist being executed. And as the disciples returned to Jesus, Jesus knew that they were tired. He knew that they were spent. He knew that they were exhausted and he told them, he said, hey, let's get away for a while. Because what was happening is that they were so pressed in by the people around them that they didn't even have time to leisurely eat. And so he said, let's get away. And imagine being the disciples and coming back to Jesus and being exhausted and being tired and reporting back the things that they had done in his name and Jesus saying, hey, let's just get away for a little while. How cool would that be? Wouldn't you love for Jesus to show up at your place of work and say, hey, let's go have lunch together? And you're like, well, we're going to need to go somewhere where people don't know me or you. Let's, let's, let's get away. Let's, let's go for a drive and have some time together. That, that's what the disciples were 
almost craving, looking forward to. They said, hey, let's get, Jesus said, let's get away. And they said, that sounds great. So they got on a boat to get away. But as they were on that boat getting away, people saw where they were going. And when they got to the shore, they weren't met with an opportunity of relaxation, an opportunity of rejuvenation. No, they were met with a people who wanted Jesus. And if you remember the story, why did Jesus change his plans? It's because he looked out and saw a people who needed a shepherd because they were lost sheep. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. And so he set his promise aside to his disciples to show compassion almost neglecting what some would maybe observe his closest followers. And we get that great story where Jesus is feeding, is speaking to the 5,000. It gets later in the day and the disciples are like, disciples are like hey, you got to send them away. They got to go find something to eat. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. It's a familiar story, but he takes the, the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish and he feeds 5,000 plus people. Scholars believe it could be as many as 15,000 people. And at the end of the day, how many baskets were left over? Twelve. And that's where we pick the story up. As we look at, if you're a follower of Jesus, how do you move or how do you continue to move beyond the crowd? See, because there was a crowd of 15,000 people that were there, but they weren't all considered Jesus' disciples or his followers. It says in verse number 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. And, and I kind of tweaked earlier the verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, how do you move beyond the crowd? How, how do you move beyond just observing, just kind of soaking up the good of Jesus? How do you consistently follow after him? Well, I think one way that we see from here is if you're going to move beyond the crowd as you follow after Jesus, you must have an obedient spirit when you follow him. See, as they came to the end of that encounter with the 5,000 plus people, here's what Jesus did. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And what did they do? They got in the boat. Now, think back to before the encounter with the 5,000 people. See, this is all in real time. For us, it's been six weeks since we've looked here. Now, this is a matter of minutes and hours. See, at the beginning of the day, as they, as they came back to Jesus, they reported what they had done, and Jesus said, hey, let's get away for a little while. They said, that sounds great. They get on the boat to get away for a little while, but they get interrupted 
And I think that's one of the reasons why they missed what Jesus did with the 5,000 people. 5,000 plus people as he fed them is that they were so locked in on what they wanted for Jesus that they couldn't see what Jesus was doing. I think they missed something there. But what did they still crave? They still craved time with him. See, they were trying to dismiss the crowd. Hey, send them home so we can finally get you to ourselves. But that's not how it happened. They're still wanting to do that, but what does Jesus tell them to do? He tells them immediately after it had happened, get in the boat, and they got in the boat. You see, church, if we're going to move beyond the crowd, we'll be a people that are obedient with an obedient spirit when God tells us to move. When he tells us to go, we're going to go. When he tells us to stay, we're going to stay. When he tells us to speak, we're going to speak. When he tells us to listen, we're going to listen. And we're really not going to ask questions as he does that. See, if you're a follower of God, I'm here to tell you God always knows better than you. But we don't always act like that. You see, the crowd thinks they know better. The crowd thinks that they know what they need from Jesus, but... A follower knows that Jesus knows what we need from Jesus. See, if you've been changed and transformed by the grace of God, you know that he knows better. And so you're willing to have an obedient spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, how do you continue to move beyond the crowd? Well, the first thing you do is you have an obedient spirit. But the second thing that I think we need to do is that we need to remember what Jesus has previously done. Not just in our life, but through history. See, we're not so caught up in the moment. We're not always looking for the next best thing. If you're going to move beyond the crowd, you're not just looking for the next best thing. No, you have a great memory as you remember what Jesus has already done. See, if, if we read Mark chronologically and we find ourselves at this point in the story, here's what the disciples have already experienced and observed from Jesus. They've observed him heal a man with an unclean spirit. They've seen him cleanse a leper, made a paralytic to walk, restored a withered hand, calmed a storm with the sound of his voice. They've seen a demon cast out of a man, a woman cleansed of an issue of blood, a child raised to life, and a potluck supper where everybody forgot to bring some food. That's what they have observed in that short amount of time. And I don't know about you, I have not seen any of those things happen in my lifetime. I have I've seen Jesus move in spectacular ways. But I have never, in real time in front of me, seen a person who is broken and tattered, lying in a hospital bed. All of a sudden you see the bones just miraculously set themselves. I've never seen that happen. I've never been preaching at a funeral and seen the um, casket open up and the person get out. Would have been my last funeral to ever do. <laughs> Pastor Kirk, would you do my funeral? Absolutely not. I might not even come to it. If that stuff starts happening, holy moly. I've never been to a potluck supper where people didn't bring food because I've been a Southern Baptist my whole life. But they had seen those things. They had seen those things time and time again. And those are just the ones we have recorded. 
No telling how many other things happened. See, if you're going to move beyond the crowd, you're not just looking for the next best thing. You remember all the things he's already done. And church, should it not be true that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved by the grace of God, then you need nothing else from him. You don't need him to show up one other time in your life. The greatest thing has ever happened. When you've been saved by the grace of God, you just haven't, you just haven't gotten the cake. No, you've gotten the icing and you've gotten the cherry on top. I don't know who would put a cherry on top of a cake, but some people might. You have everything that he has for you. You need nothing more. Now, he's promised more. He's promised to never leave. He's promised to never forsake. But you don't need another miracle. You have the greatest miracle. You have gone from being a walking dead person to being alive in Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle that could ever happen. You are not just alive, but you are alive forever. And you need nothing more from him. But not so of the crowd. The crowd was always looking for the next best thing. Even to the point of Jesus on the cross, you remember how they were mocking Jesus and what they were saying to him? If he really were God, wouldn't he just get down? Wouldn't the angels come and rescue him? Isn't that what would happen if he were in fact Jesus? They had seen him heal people. See, there are some people that say, if we could just see Jesus do one more thing, then I'll believe. No, you have enough already. I'm not sure you'll ever believe. If we're going to move beyond the crowd as we follow after Jesus, we will have an obedient spirit and we will remember what he has previously done. And the reason why that matters is because if we're following after Jesus and moving beyond the crowd, we should expect Jesus to do the unexpected. We should expect the miraculous out of a miraculous God. Because here's what happens. At the fourth watch, as they're in the boat, they're rowing hard. They're not making any progress. Jesus is standing on the shoreline, looking out, seeing the disciples and seeing what they're doing. And he's thinking to himself, man, how am I going to get to the other side? Well, I'll just be Jesus. And Jesus starts walking on the waves. Walking across the sea. As he sees them, battling. It says that he meant to pass them by. I'm not sure that's exactly what he meant to do. He was, I'll just go and walk past them. But he knew fully and wholly well what was going to happen. No, they look out and they see him and they are terrified. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. It said, but he immediately spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then here's what happens. He got into the boat with them. The wind ceased. You remember the time where Jesus was asleep and they came to Jesus and said, do you not care? Do you not care that we're going to die, that we're going to perish? What does Jesus tell them? Oh, you have little faith. Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea goes calm. Jesus gets into the boat. He encourages them. The wind ceases, and it says, and they were utterly astounded. Now, church, here's here's what I want to be careful of. I never want you to lose your awe for the awesomeness of God. I never want you to get to the point to where you are not astounded by him. But what I think we need to not move beyond, but grow in our understanding of God 
is that when God does the miraculous, we aren't surprised or shocked. We're just in awe. Every time God moves in the heart of a person, I am amazed. But I should not be surprised. When people fall on their face before a holy God and are transformed, saved from their sin, covered by God's grace, I should always be amazed at that, but I should never be surprised at that. It should never shock me that God moves because God is in the business of moving. But if we are going to move beyond the crowd, our utter astoundingness at his movement should not be one of shock, but one of expectation. Hey, Jesus got in the boat and the wind stopped. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I went out and prayed over somebody and the doctor said they would never get better, but they did get better. Yeah, that makes sense. Somebody who's hard-hearted, who has lived a horrible, difficult life, has been radically transformed. Yeah, that's kind of how God works. Like, that should be our approach to the, not flippantly, we, we still maintain our awe when we find ourselves in his presence, but we should never be shocked that he moves because he is God. And church, if we are gonna move beyond the crowd as we follow after Jesus, we are not surprised when he moves. No, we expect him to move. And not in a way to where we demand that he does what we have him to do. But we petition a holy God to do what he will do. Knowing that he will continue to move in the hearts of people. I was encouraged this week as I saw someone who encouraged and spurred on those who are praying for people in their lives who are lost. And the person said, don't lose heart. Continue to pray. Continue to petition, knowing that Jesus still saves. See, church, if we are gonna move beyond the crowd, we will have an obedient spirit. We will remember what he has previously done and we will live with an expectation in the unexpected. But the final thing is that if we are to move beyond the crowd, we must see past the moment of God's miracles. We have to see past just the miracle as if it's some isolated event. See, when something miraculous happens, it's just not a cool thing. It's a God thing that's part of his plan. And his plan is not limited. His plan is not temporary. No, his plan is a master plan. His plan is well thought out. His plan makes sense from beginning to end. And if we are going to move beyond the crowd, we're not just in it for the moment. No, we can see past the moment. Because that's where we come to that verse 52 
Verse 51, he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased and they were utterly astounded, astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I mean, clearly it's a reference to the miracle that has just taken place. There was something that they missed. And, and, and here's what I believe. I don't think they missed the miracle. I think what they missed was the miracle maker. And who the miracle maker really was. Yeah, they'd seen Jesus move. And so I think on some level, when Jesus blessed the food and 15,000 people ate, my guess is on the backside, they said, well, that kind of makes sense. He does that sometimes. But they missed who he was. Not what he did, but who he was at his core. See, because if they'd understood what happened, they would have realized that, that the whole feeding of the 5,000 was not so 5,000 people could be fed, but so Jesus could continue to reveal his identity as the sovereign God who was, who was then going to be capable of walking on waves. See, he wasn't just some cool guy. No, he is God with us. That's who Jesus was, and they did not get that at that moment. As Mark is writing, he, he puts out there a very um, kind of in-your-face statement. Because when he says there in verse, or writes there in verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What he's referencing is their unbelief. See, there's a level of them where they just don't get who Jesus is yet. And this isn't going to be the last time. We'll see here in a few weeks where we get to the feeding of the 4,000. On the back end of the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus looks at them and says, do you still not believe? Why are your hearts hardened? This is what one New Testament scholar, R.T. France, writes. He writes this about their hardened hearts. By this time, apparently the disciples, if not the crowd, but at a minimum the disciples, should have got beyond the stage of instinctive astonishment to one of understanding who Jesus is. See, when we see Jesus move, it's easy to be astounded, but it's something entirely different to move past being astounded to understanding more of who he is. In particular, it seems that it is the loaves, the preceding miracle, which should have caused them to see things in a new light. See, here was Jesus' expectation. If they were going to move beyond the crowd as they followed after him, they wouldn't just be seeing this miracle as some kind of isolated event. Instead, they would understand that it was revealing to them even a little bit more that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Jesus wasn't just a good guy. Jesus wasn't just someone who could do miraculous things. Jesus wasn't just someone who loved them. Jesus wasn't just someone who possessed compassion. No, Jesus was God, but they still missed it. And on some level, that terrifies me. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me because I don't want to find myself in the place where I am wrapped up in the moment, but I can't see beyond the moment. I can't see beyond the, the miraculous event and see God for who he truly is. See, God is a miracle worker. 
because he is God and because he is capable of being so. See, what they're talking about here when it comes to unbelief, it's not that they lacked an intellectual understanding of Jesus. No, they they had a faith issue that they were still working their way through. And church, if we're going to move beyond the crowd, we're not just going to see incredible things take place and recognize those as neat moments. No, we will see beyond those moments and realize that God is never about a moment. No, church, God is about a movement. God is about moving the hearts of people. God is about transformation God is about being exalted. If we are going to move beyond the crowd, as we possess an obedient spirit, we will recall the things that Jesus has done and expect that he will continue to be Jesus and move in incredible ways. But if we're going to move beyond the crowd, it's not just about waiting for the next moment. It's being a part of an incredible movement. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's I-B-C-B-E-N-T-O-N dot com. Or give us a call at 618-439-3513.